This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, covering much of central Illinois and now some of northern Illinois, and we're still in the process of expanding. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. We were gone last week, so missed out then. Some things came up, but uh, we're back. And remember, we are brought to you by you. And so any donations that you can make or anything that you can give would be greatly appreciated. If you want to make a donation, you can go to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com, and it will tell you there more about us and also how to make a donation uh, if you would like to do that. And again, we would appreciate it, large or small. Uh, I want to mention also some events coming up. Uh, Don't forget that there is uh, Catholic Spirit Radio is sponsoring a trip coming up here September 29th and 30th. That's on a Thursday and a Friday, and it will be to Canton, Ohio, to see uh, the town, the city of uh, Mother Angelica. And you will visit uh, Mother Angelica Shrine Museum and also the home of Rhoda Weiss, uh, a woman who greatly influenced uh, Mother Angelica and caused her to take up uh, uh, the vocation of a nun and uh, eventually that led to her starting EWTN. And, of course, we're part of that uh, uh, enterprise uh, today to this day. And uh, you will also, on the way there, will be stopping at St. Mary of the Woods in Indiana. That's right near the Wabash River, not far from uh, Terre Haute. And you will be seeing the shrine there of uh, Theodore Guerin, a nun who came over from France back in the early part of the 1800s, and uh, it's a very, very interesting place to visit and see. So it's going to be a great trip. If you get a chance to go, uh, you can go to our website, and it'll tell you more information about it there, and uh, you can find out how to sign up for it. So do that because it's coming up pretty soon. And it's not too late. Don't feel that it's too late. You still can. Uh, There are a couple openings and you certainly could go if you wanted to. So it's going to be well worth it. They, uh, uh, Rhoda Weiss, she had the, uh, stigmata and, uh, they're pushing her, you know, trying to get her cause for, uh, sainthood going too. So. So that's uh, something that's so near us, you know, it's not far away. Uh, really, it's not that far of a trip over to Ohio. And then again, of course, uh, the border of Indiana there uh, is uh, right on our border as well. And there are so many things to see right here in the Midwest. Uh, take advantage of it, and uh, you'll see and know and learn a lot about your own area. And uh, it's certainly interesting people and an interesting uh, trip. And it's going to be fun. You're going to be in a, a uh, very modern, well-equipped uh, bus. And there will be uh, prayer and uh, things to do. So uh, go to yeah, our website. snacks. And go to you, our web- you'll have a good trip. Right. Go to our website and learn more about it and uh, sign up for that event. Okay. Uh, is there anything further you want to talk about, Lynn? No, no, no. It's 
the trip is a big thing, so. Okay. Today, uh, I'm going to talk about a project, uh, a Catholic project that's called Integralism. And I'm going to read from an article uh, by Thomas Stork in the New Oxford Review magazine. And the name of the article is called, What is Integralism? I think we should learn a little bit more about it. And uh, the, the article is headed up with the headline, Moving Beyond Liberalism. And uh, Thomas Stork is a contributing editor of the New Oxford yeah. Review. He's written widely on Catholic social teaching, Catholic culture, and related topics for many years. He is the author most recently of Seeing the World with Catholic Eyes, A Conversation with Thomas Stork. That's 2021. And that's published by Aurora Press. And uh, it be a book if you're interested in that you can get, I'm sure, at... Uh, well, uh, probably order it on Amazon or uh, get it at uh, uh, some, uh, you know, a bookstore. So we're going to talk about what it is and why integral integralism. Why is this a subject? Well, the whole idea here is that moving beyond liberalism. A lot of people, and especially Catholics looking at the insane society that we're living in today, and it seems to get more insane as uh, time goes along, are beginning to understand that there's something seriously wrong with liberalism. For one thing, liberalism, you know, liberalism constantly changes. It's really not anchored to any particular dogma or any, you know, particular ethics or particular uh, theory. It changes and moves around. The liberalism of yesterday is not the liberalism of today. And the direction it's going in is taking our society down the wrong path. And people are beginning to realize it's not just society itself, but it's the underlying principle of liberalism that is taking us down this path because it's really not uh, attached to anything permanent. And uh, society needs to be undergirded by ethics and morals and uh, a philosophy that is sound and permanent. All of our laws have to be undergirded by something. And uh, Western civilization was built by the Catholic Church. Uh, When Rome fell, uh, the the civilization that arose was the Christendom, and that was built by the Catholic Church, and that was built, of course, by the the dogmas and uh, teachings of the Catholic Church, which don't change, or at least they're not supposed to change. And a lot of people are returning to that idea and it's called integralism. Uh, at one time, Christianity was integrated with the state. We had a distinction between the church and the state, but each played a part, and the church was the uh, base or undergirded the law and the civil uh, direction of the state. And uh, when that was working like it should, Uh, Western civilization advanced, and of course, uh, we built a great Western civilization. And it seems to be disintegrating and falling apart, getting more insane. And a lot of people are understanding that without the Catholic dogmas and principles to undergird the state, it is going in the wrong direction. And they're calling for Catholicism to be reintegrated into the uh, doctrine philosophy, and undergirding of the state. So that's what integralism is all about. And I'm going to read from this article, and it will tell more about it. 
and it's something I think Catholics should be aware of. Uh, and in my own opinion, I, I agree with it. I really do think that it's possible to reintegrate uh, the dogmas of Catholicism with the state without interfering with what we call religious freedom, and you'll see that as we go along. It says, a specter is haunting the Catholic world, the specter of integralism. The most opposed groups, both Catholic conservatives and Catholic liberals, as well as some less informed Catholic traditionalists, unite in opposition to and even fear of it. But what exactly is integralism and what can be said on its behalf? Integralism is essentially nothing but adherence to all the teachings of the Catholic Church on faith and morals, something which, as Catholics, we are always obliged to do. But, of course, something which we're in a great uh, amount are not doing, especially in this day and age. Specifically, integralism is distinguished by three chief points. One, adherence to the church's teaching on the social order and, in particular, to the restatement of that teaching by Pope Leo XIII in the late 19th century. Two, recognition that religion is not merely a private matter, and so discourse about God, good and evil, and the ultimate purpose of human life needs to take place at the level of society itself. And three, as a result of the first two points, opposition to liberalism in all its forms. Each of these points needs considerable explanation. The moral teaching of the Catholic Church is not limited to personal morality, still less to matters of sexual morality. Her teaching deals with the entire range of human life, both personal and social. Hence, it includes political and economic matters. It is no secret, however, that many Catholics are not comfortable with this. Even if they accept the Church's authority on matters of individual morality, many are apt to think that the Church really has nothing to say on political matters, especially economics. Such an attitude is not new but it has gotten much, much worse since the Second Vatican Council. But to deny the Church's authority in such matters is a distortion of Catholic teaching, for the Church speaks authoritatively on political and social matters, the economy, war and peace, and so on. Too often, Catholics have come to regard such, such subjects as foreign to the Church's magisterium and simply accept whatever the culture around them offers. This is true of both conservative and liberal Catholics, and it has been the case too often for well over a hundred years of Catholic life in this nation, as the Americanist controversy of the 1890s showed so clearly. And that controversy took place uh, at that time. The question back, debated back then is, is Americanism and Catholicism compatible and the answer, especially from Leo the Thirteenth in the church, was no, it's not completely compatible. There are a lot of things that are, but there are some things that are not. And that still holds today. And so there's a divergence of a Catholic uh, theology, philosophy, and thinking from the kind of thinking set by the liberal course uh, enshrined in our Constitution. Leo XIII, who ascended to the papal throne in 1878, faced a deteriorating situation throughout the Catholic world. The temporal power of the popes over central Italy had been lost in 1870. 
Unbelief was on the rise everywhere. The Catholic masses were losing their religious fervor in large numbers, and the international community increasingly saw the papacy as irrelevant. An important part of Leo's response to this was to restate the chief points of Catholic doctrine for his contemporaries, and in particular, to restate the church's doctrine on the social order, which he did in a series of remarkable encyclicals over the course of his long reign. Many people, both Catholic and non-Catholics, assumed that the church's relationship with the social order was one of unreflective and stupid support for the rule of monarchs, which, even in Leo's time, clearly had seen its day. But Leo's policy was not one of foolish adherence to a vanishing political order. On the specific question of forms of government, he stated more than once that it was no concern to the church whether a government was monarchical or democratic or anything else so long as it governed on behalf of the common good and recognized God's law. Leo XIII penetrated to the essentials of things, not to a contingent policies, not to contingent policies from the past that were no longer applicable to the modern world. Leo emphasized that the political order, as with the family or the individual person, is a creation of God and therefore has duties to God, including publicly acknowledging and worshiping him. He pointed out how irrational it is to limit the teaching of God's church uh, to merely the personal uh, teaching, the personal or familial level. If individuals are bound by the law of God, how is it that when joined into a group, a group of any kind, they are exempt from that law? It is illogical to think that just because men are joined into political societies, that therefore they could leave their religious beliefs at home. But isn't this exactly what we seem to believe, most of us in America today, and even more and more strongly than ever before, that somehow your religion and your religious principles belong in the four walls of the church or the four walls of your home, and they should stay there and not go anywhere else, that the state should be totally separated from any churchly morality. And in my opinion, the reason for that is because we have this illogical concept of religious freedom. And uh, I've talked on that before. Uh, and that somehow or another, it waters down religion to the point where we have this idea that all religions are equally true. But if that's the case and all religions are equally true, then no religion is true. I mean, things that are contradictory to each other, and many religions are, all can't be true. (laughs) Something can't be one thing and another thing at the same time. Anyway, Leo wrote in Immortality D in 1885, the state constituted as it is, is clearly bound to act up into the manifold and weighty duties linking it to God by the public profession of religion. Nature and reason, which command every individual devoutly to worship God in holiness, because we belong to him and must return to him, since from him we came, bind also the civil community by a like law. 
for men living together in society are under the power of God no less than individuals are. And society, no less than individuals, owes gratitude to God, who gave it being and maintains it, and whose ever-bounteous goodness enriches it with countless blessings. So he is saying that any individual that is bound uh, by the rules of God and bound to God doesn't lose that binding simply because he joins a group and that somehow the group is exempt from the duties to obey the moral and uh, religious laws laid down by the church that built Western civilization. And if we believe that, it's sort of uh, silly, because all law is moral, no matter what you, any law that you enact, even if it's a law on a speed limit on a street, you enact it because somehow it is good and not bad, and you're making a moral judgment when you enact that law. So religious principles, morality, and so forth are applying in any society, and a society has to decide at bottom what those moral principles are, and they have to have some kind of consistency. And this is what seems to be happening today, is we're losing that consistency, and we're losing the whole idea and direction. Uh, Liberalism has been cut loose and seems to stand alone, and it isn't tied to any dogma that guides it. And so we are really going down the wrong path, and people are beginning to recognize it. And that's why this whole idea of being concerned with integrating religious morality back into the state and state law, that's why this movement is coming into existence. And uh, we're going to talk more about it here. But right now, we're going to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnson on Catholic Spirit Radio. In the 1600s, the Ottoman Turks pursued the invasion of Malta with plans to attack Rome. The Holy League was formed to defend the Christian civilization against that invasion. Soldiers and Christians throughout Europe invoked the Virgin Mary against the daunting Turkish forces by praying the rosary. The Turks were defeated. A feast day called Our Lady of Victory, and more currently known as Our Lady of the Rosary, has been celebrated ever since on October 7th. This October, hundreds of rosary crusades will occur in this worldwide event. Please join Catholic Spirit Radio as we gather to join via live audio with Dan and Stephanie Burke, the displaced Carmelite nuns of Sacramento, Christophonic, Bishop Strickland, and more. Come with family and friends to this powerful local prayer gathering at Catholic Spirit Radio in Normal. Meet outside on the north parking lot around the large illuminated rosary. Bring your lawn chair and your rosary. The rosary begins at 6.30 on October 7th. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We're talking about integralism, a philosophy that is calling for a restoration of some of the Catholic principles to undergird our laws and the direction in which our country is moving. And we were talking about Leo XIII and his idea that uh, any state is uh, okay. We can have uh, various forms of government but it has to be ordered in such a way that it is in acting in behalf of the common good of all the people in it. And the best way for that to take place is to follow a philosophy and also a theology such as the Catholic Church, uh, the dogma of it, 
to keep the law in going in the right direction. And so the article here continues after that, and it says, but it was not just the state itself with which Leo was concerned. He recognized that the entire social order must be subordinated to God and in its own way lead us to God. The economy, for example, is not a separate and autonomous department of social life ruled by its own quasi-mechanical laws and free from any but the most vestigial elements of morality. No, the economy is an essential aspect of human social life and must work in harmony with man's true end, which is union with God. This does not mean that economics is to be reduced to a series of exhortations or sermons. Rather, it is to be subordinated to the human well-being as a whole. This is what the medieval society order, this is what the medieval social order endeavored to do by means of its many institutions and rules orienting economic activity toward the common good, in particular the craft guilds, which tried to secure justice for all involved in economic life. In fact, the emancipation of the economy from Christian morality beginning in the 16th century was probably the, the chief engine of the secularization that by the 19th century had destroyed the Christian social order that had been built up so painstakingly over more than a thousand years. A key point in the secularizing of what was once Christendom has been the relegation of discourse about good and evil to the private sphere. The 17th century English philosopher John Locke whose influence over American political thought has been overwhelming, makes this explicit. The state, and hence society, he believed, is concerned only with liberty and property, while religion is a concern solely of the individual. This Lockean doctrine was enshrined in the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and has been a staple of American jurisprudence. But why is it wrong? Is it not a good thing to remove religious disputes from the public sphere and let each person believe what he wants? If it is true, as Leo wrote, that men living together in society are under the power of God no less than individuals are, and society no less than individuals owes gratitude to God, then clearly it is wrong to limit society's concerns to purely this worldly matters. Does, does this mean then that Catholics are to aim at some kind of authoritarian state that would impose a Catholic social order on an unwilling citizenry? I will deal with the particular situation of a Catholic country below, but what such a stance means today in our very pluralistic world is something quite different. Today, there is no homogeneous Catholic nation. We have no present hope of a government that recognizes its duties to God. But what we can work for is the idea that questions about religious and metaphysical truth are important, indeed, so important that discussion about them must be conducted at the level of the community as a whole. It is not enough to say, worship at the church or temple of your choice, or as long as you go to some church, that's fine. No, we must try to shape our national discourse so that religious and metaphysical, metaphysical questions come front and center. 
Not only is this required by our adherence to truth, but it is, it is the only hope for a successful missionary apostolate in today's world. If we have the faith once delivered to the saints, then let us not be ashamed of it, and let us not act as if any kind and every religion were equally true or equally acceptable to God. The Christian social order has declined and faded over the past several centuries. What was behind that? The enemy of that social order was none other than liberalism. But here readers, especially American readers, must tread carefully for the usage of the term liberalism in the United States will simply confuse us. Liberalism, as I am using the term, indeed, as it is used in papal encyclicals and in most of the rest of the world, means the broad movement of revolt against Christian morality, originally Christian social morality, that arose in the 16th century. Liberalism claimed to free mankind from traditional restrictions that it saw as oppressive. It championed political and economic freedom, which was nothing but freedom for the wealthy to abolish the rights of the poor, steal their land and homes, and grow rich at the expense of society. And we're seeing a lot of that again today. We saw it back at the, 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 during the Protestant Reformation when the Catholic lands that were open to people to, to settle on and to use were enclosed. They had the enclosure laws, and people were kicked off the land to wander as vagabonds around the country with no place to call their own, and they were forced to work in conditions that were, were very, very uh, meager, and uh, people made a lot of money in the new industrial uh, powers and so forth that rose at that time and uh, should have been getting much more pay than they were back at, back at the time, uh, but were forced to do so because all of the church property was confiscated and, and enclosed, and it was the rich princes and, of course, their descendants and so forth that uh, took up and owned that property, and that's uh, what uh, is being talked about here when they're talking about a transfer of wealth from the rich to the poor. And that's the same thing we have had during COVID, for example. It was a economic scam in which tons of money were transferred from ordinary people over to the big pharma industry uh, because alternatives to the so-called vaccine were disallowed. And uh, the pharma companies made a fortune selling that vaccine, which is really, of course, as we understand now, not a vaccine at all. And uh, it doesn't prevent you from getting COVID. And uh, COVID itself, when you get it, uh, doesn't mean that you're going to be immune forever. It's because the virus itself, the coronavirus, is similar to the flu virus. It's constantly mutating and changing. And there isn't any particular one vaccine that is going to cure it. And I think Big Pharma at that time knew it. And when doctors wanted to prescribe alternative uh, therapeutic uh, treatments, they were extremely discouraged. Uh, some of the drug companies refused to give uh, drugs and so forth that would alleviate the symptoms of COVID and uh, act on it from a different point of view. So this is what we're talking about here. And anyhow, he goes on. He said, without, without denying the real abuses that existed under the old order, especially as it decayed and tottered toward its fall, 
the new kind of political and social life introduced by liberalism proved much worse for everyone, except for those clever and unscrupulous enough to take advantage of the new opportunities for money-making. As G.K. Chesterton wrote, progress, in the sense of the progress that has progressed since the 16th century, has upon every matter persecuted the common man. Liberalism has evolved from its original concern with political and economic restrictions and now champions previously unheard of evils, such as homosexuality and transgenderism. But we must recognize that all liberalism is fueled by the same animus, hatred of any restraints over individual conduct, whether in the realm of politics, economics, the family, or sexuality. Free love and free thought are simply the flip side of free trade and the free market. It is also necessary to point out that in criticizing liberalism, I am not espousing what is called conservatism, especially as the term is used in the United States. American conservatism is, at bottom, simply the liberalism of the 19th century with its championing of free markets and the economy as a separate department of life not integrated into the subordinate into and subordinate to political and social life as a whole as i said above such liberalism was the first enemy of the christian social order and the fact that many otherwise orthodox catholics see nothing wrong with it is one of the saddest aspects of contemporary ecclesial life and uh, you know what uh, they're talking about here is that uh, somehow we seem to, to separate the economy from social life and that the rules of uh, applying to social life should somehow not apply to the economy. And I have talked about uh, before on this program the idea of conservatism as being a shadow that follows liberalism. And if you look and pay attention, it is that way. Uh, a lot of the things uh, that liberalism is out ahead on, transgender and other things, are slowly already being integrated and uh, absorbed by the conservatism of the day. And it won't be long before a lot of those things will be taken for granted and liberalism will move on uh, to some other type of individual freedoms that seem to be leading us down a path of destruction. He goes on, he says, I have spoken of what integralism is. Let me speak briefly on what it is not. First, I suspect many readers think that integralist is simply another name for traditionalist. That is, those committed to the traditional Latin liturgy. This is not entirely true. Although the overlap between the two groups is considerable, there are traditionalists whose interest is limited to matters liturgical, and on the other hand, integralists who would be content with a reform of the reform, with an injection of beauty, solemnity, and dignity into the regular Novus Ordo liturgy, without necessarily a full embrace of the 1962 Missal. In any case, the interest of integralists is focused more on political and social matters, not primarily on the liturgy. There is another point where it is necessary to say what integralism is not. Integralism does not mean waiting for a strong man to come and save us, or plotting a coup d'etat, or even dreaming of one. However deficient today's political regimes may be, they legitimately hold political power. 
and it would be a sin to revolt against them. The teaching of our Lord, seconded by Saints Peter and Paul in the New Testament, is clear that even the Roman state had received its authority from God himself. In fact, Christ says that. He said, if you had not received authority from my Father, you would not be able to do what you are doing to me. In fact, is what he said. And he goes on. Uh, he said, this, it is clear that even the Roman state had received its authority from God himself, despite the fact that it promoted and tolerated numerous evils and even persecuted the church of God. At this point, integralism is not a program for political action, but simply a means for Catholics to learn to think with the church and to reject the intellectual errors that have long dominated the Western world and confused Catholics. So it's sort of saying here the first steps of integralism are for Catholics themselves to understand that the Catholic Church is the church that Christ uh, founded, and that we should begin understanding that, and we should think with and 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 talk with uh, the dogmas of the church behind us, and we should boldly proclaim this, and we should understand that the church has always had the authority to speak to the world, especially to the Western world, and that it should be listened to. And if we just learn that first part, Catholics will go a long way, I think, in being better evangelists, for one thing. And he goes on, he says, but what of the situation of an overwhelmingly Catholic nation? When I spoke of the state's duties toward God and the true religion, I noted that in today's pluralist world, this does not mean the imposition of a Catholic regime on an unwilling populace. What then did Leo mean? He was discussing the case of a country in which the people and traditions were overwhelmingly Catholic. For such a nation, it has been a traditional part of the church's teaching that the government should actively promote the Catholic religion and, according to circumstances, restrict more or less the public activities of other religions, at least their proselytizing activities. This is to be done for the protection of the faith of individual Catholic citizens and to preserve a publicly Catholic culture life. Introducing, in introducing this topic, I know I am running counter to the general opinion that Dignitatis Humanae, the Second Vatican Consul's Declaration on Religious Liberty, put an end once and for all to such notions. But this conclusion is far from certain. In the first place, the teaching of numerous popes, both before and after Leo XIII, provides a solid basis for thinking that the ordinary magisterium of the Church has infallibly endorsed the notion of a Catholic state. Overturning such teaching would be extraordinary and would open the way to claim for and, and would open the way to claims that any and all previous teachings on matters of faith and morals could likewise be altered. However, the text of Dignitatis Humanae is not as clear as many seem to think. Let us examine it to see if the Consul's teaching can be harmonized with the Church's previous utterances. In the opening paragraph of Dignitatis Humanae, we read that it leaves intact the traditional Catholic teaching on the moral duty of individuals and societies toward the true religion and the one church of Christ. In other words, Dignitatis Humanae specifically states that it does not overturn the very teaching that it is widely held to have overturned. 
Of course, Dignitatis Humanae says much more than that, and it does announce a right to religious freedom in wide terms. But if we are to respect the constant teachings of the church's ordinary magisterium without rejecting a document of an ecumenical council, then we must try to reconcile the two. My suggested solution is that if we advert to certain limits on religious freedom in the document's text, we will see that it does not constitute such a sweeping announcement of religious liberty as many suppose. For in addition to its general statement about preserving the church's teaching that I quoted above, Dignitatis Humanae mentions due limits and the just requirements of public order as legitimate restrictions on religious liberty, as well as the crucial restriction that religious freedom, as in the case with any other freedom exercised in society, is bound by the rights of others and the common good of all. So to sum up, he's saying here that just like other laws have to be in favor of the common good and have to be restricted uh, by the exercise of looking out for the common good, so does religious freedom have to be restricted by the same thing. So we're going to go ahead and stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. In the 1600s, the Ottoman Turks pursued the invasion of Malta with plans to attack Rome. The Holy League was formed to defend the Christian civilization against that invasion. Soldiers and Christians throughout Europe invoked the Virgin Mary against the daunting Turkish forces by praying the rosary. The Turks were defeated. A feast day called Our Lady of Victory and more currently known as Our Lady of the Rosary, has been celebrated ever since on October 7th. This October, hundreds of rosary crusades will occur in this worldwide event. Please join Catholic Spirit Radio as we gather to join via live audio with Dan and Stephanie Burke, the displaced Carmelite nuns of Sacramento, Chris Stefanik, Bishop Strickland, and more. Come with family and friends to this powerful local prayer gathering at Catholic Spirit Radio in Normal. Meet outside on the north parking lot around the large illuminated rosary. Bring your lawn chair and your rosary. The rosary begins at 6.30 on October 7th. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. We're back from our break. We're talking about integralism, and we're talking about uh, a possible way of uh, introducing the tenets of uh, Catholic thought and Catholic social teaching into uh, our law, into a means of undergirding our law. And we're talking about how does this coincide with the Dignitatis Humanae, which teaches about religious freedom. In other words, how would we work Catholic integralism into society? That is, Catholic, Catholic uh, uh, doctrine says that the Catholic Church has the right to both preach and has the authority to undergird society with the precepts and principles of Catholic dogma. How do we do this and at the same time account for the fact that uh, the, the church has also talked about religious freedom. And he says the solution to this is that it's the same as Leo said about society in general. Any particular government is, is, is allowed. Leo isn't saying we should have a monarchy or we should have democracy or we should have something else. As long as that government acts on behalf of human good and on behalf of protection of individuals, and uh, uh, 
advances the, the, the common good, then that government is legitimate. And he's talking the same thing here about religious liberty. So people can have religious liberty, but it does have to be restricted by what is in the interest of the common good. And for example, some of the things that are being taught in our schools today are certainly not in the interest of the common good. Uh, they're not into the interest of uh, children, and they're not into the, in the interest of families and all of those things that make up society. And so Catholic teaching in this respect would simply be asking that they be restricted and done away with on behalf of the common good and on behalf of not injuring uh, our children and behalf of not injuring our families or wrecking our society. So it's possible to integrate it without restricting uh, religious freedom in any broad or, or narrow way, rather. And it allows for a broad religious freedom, but at the same time, in conjunction with good reason and in conjunction with good living. He goes on, he says, uh, talks about, therefore, the restriction on religious freedom acknowledged in, in Dignitatis Humanae must be understood differently in a Catholic state as compared with a liberal state. In the former, the common good was always understood as including the maintenance of a Catholic cultural and social order, while the latter rightly permits religious freedom on a much wider scale. But even here, it allows restrictions according to the requirements of good and decent public order. Interestingly enough, this understanding of religious liberty appears to receive support in none other than the catechism of the Catholic Church. And the catechism goes on to state, quote, The due limits which are inherent in the exercise of religious liberty must be determined for each social situation by political prudence, according to the requirements of the common good, and ratified by the civil authority in accordance with legal principles which are in conformity with the objective moral order. In other words, we need to use good common sense in understanding that the principles of the law and the religious principles themselves have to be such that they advance the good of the individual, the good of the social order, the good of the family, and the good of the society as a whole. And, and uh, religious principles that don't do this, uh, but do the opposite and harm society, need to be restricted. While the Catechism teaches that the right to the exercise of freedom must be recognized and protected by civil authority within the limits of the common good and public order, it also re repeats Leo XIII's teaching that the duty of offering God genuine worship concerns man both individually and socially. Even more remarkably, the footnotes of these, these sections reference prior encyclicals that contain the very teaching supposedly overturned by Dignitatis Humanae, including Leo XIII's Immortale Dei, 1885, and Libertas, uh, 1888, Pius XI's uh, encyclical, 1925, and even Pius's uh, encyclical earlier, 1864, the encyclical that accompanied the syllabus of errors. Thus, man's right to religious freedom is real, but it is always subordinate to the demands of the common good, which necessarily differ from one social situation to another. Doubtless, such an interpretation of Dignitatis Humanae will be novel for many readers, 
But if we are to respect the ordinary magisterium of the church and not reject a document of an ecumenical consul, we must see if we can reconcile the two. I think the solution I sketched here does full justice to both the church's traditional teaching and that of Vatican II. In any case, unless we are to embrace the notion that the church can overturn one of her settled teachings on faith and morals, we must look for a way that allows us to harmonize what seem like problematic aspects of Dignitatis Humanae. Before leaving this subject, I must address one particularly important point. The religious unity of a Catholic state is very important, and it exists, as I said, both to protect the faith of the individual believer and to preserve a publicly Catholic culture. This is why it can be legitimate to restrict the public exercise of non-Catholic religions. In the past, this sometimes went so far as to include the death penalty for unrepentant heretics, but that practice is unwarranted. It never received unanimous support or sanction in traditional Catholic teaching. It is by no means necessary for the protection of a Catholic nation, and it serves in the long run to discredit the Church and her teachings. Although Catholics have grown accustomed to thinking and living within the liberal order over the past 300 years, there is growing awareness that our present political situation is not satisfactory. As the liberal order embraces more and more insanity, Catholics are stopping to ask whether there was something wrong with the liberal project from the outset. To view the trajectory of history as primarily a march toward greater and greater freedom has led inevitably to a rejection of moral norms that contradict the latest fashions. We cannot effectively oppose this insanity by appealing to the principles of liberalism for those principles were always protean. And what, what that means is those principles were always constantly changing, and they still are constantly changing. There is no bedrock in liberalism to undergird the direction of the state. What liberalism championed yesterday is not what it champions today and probably not what it will champion tomorrow. In other words, liberalism is always changing. There is nothing solid to hold on to here. But there is something solid to hold on to, and that is the teaching of Christ's one church, a teaching that Catholics must embrace wholly and wholeheartedly. Only in this way is there hope of evangelizing our fellow men at the beginning of the third millennium. So the article ends here, and I'm sure that probably the last part of this article might have shocked some people out there and might have shocked also some Catholics. We have lived so long in a liberal state, and we have lived so long with the idea that you know all religions are somehow equal, and that all religions somehow or another can 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 govern. Uh, this is simply not the case, and never has been the case. We have to come to understand as Catholics that it was the Catholic Church that built Western civilization, and it was the Catholic dogmas and principles that were given to us by Christ. Scripture itself. Uh, was was a product of the Catholic Church. So when we read Scripture, scripture uh, that is a Catholic tradition. And most Protestants who hold on to Scripture as being, you know, the, the primary or only uh, direction of Christianity or the only guide to Christianity, those people are holding to the tradition actually given to them by the Catholic Church. 
scripture is their tradition, but that scripture is the tradition of the church and the church's authority is what made that scripture what it is. We would not know what books go into the Bible, into the New Testament, or for that matter, even the Old Testament, if it wasn't for the authority of the Catholic Church. And if it wasn't for the authority of the Catholic Church, there would have been no Christendom and there would have been no Western civilization. And we have to understand that. We have to understand a deviation from that as greatly as we are are having in liberalism today without any bedrock guidance to guide our laws in our direction that, that we're going in is leading to a disaster. And so Catholics need to understand that they belong to the one true church that was given to us by Jesus Christ. It's very clear right there in Scripture that that was the case, and I've mentioned and said that before. And we need to start having the courage and the boldness to overthrow this whole idea of liberalism that uh, we have to accept somehow all religions as being equal and uh, that somehow religion needs to be separated totally from the state and that needs to be restricted to the four walls of the church and the four walls of the home. That is not working. And so there is an alternative to that. And the people that object to it uh, have no particular uh, institution to point to as having been uh, erected. The Catholics do have the, the idea of Christendom to point to, Christendom uh, took the place of the Roman Empire. It gave us Western civilization. It did work. It was practical. And when we talk about reinstating the principles that made Christendom, we don't have to talk about going back. We can talk about going forward using those principles. So before we end here, I'm going to get into a little bit of some of the criticisms of integralism. Uh, In in the same uh, magazine here, the the New Oxford Review, September 2022, there is another article by Casey Chalk, another uh, contributor and editor of uh, the uh, New Oxford Review, and he gives some of the objections to the idea of integralism. I don't think those objections really hold water, so I'm going to go through some of them and uh, point out, uh, in my opinion, that uh, they're really not uh, very good objections and that integralism is workable. And I think that uh, it should be advocated. And I think it is something that could be practical and worked into society as we go along simply ordinarily trying to cure some of the problems that we are having today. Before I start, I'm going to ask my wife, Lynn, if she wants to make any comments on what's been said so far. No, I think it's very uh, the fair article. Really, do uh, it covers a lot of material there, Bob? It sure does, and uh, it's, I think it's very good. I'm interested in hearing what the uh, opposition to that would be. Okay, one of the oppositions is simply a pretty much statement that sort of hangs there. It's like you know we can't go back. History doesn't go backward; it goes forward. You know we can't go back to what we had before. But I don't think this article is asking anyone to go back, and we're, we're not going back to the 13th century or the first century or the second century and trying to live the kind of life uh, that they've lived. We've got an entirely different civilization. We certainly can recognize that. What we're saying is, is let's use the principles in in our current civilization that worked for the last 1,500 years or so and didn't form some kind of heaven-on-earth society. Uh, in fact, actually, 
uh, it is the liberal order that seems to predict that we can somehow have a heaven on earth. That somehow, if 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 all of the things that they that they advocate were put into effect, that we would be living in some kind of heaven. Uh, the Catholic Church certainly doesn't teach that, and I don't think any practical thinking person believed that. And uh, certainly we're not going back into some kind of heaven. There was never, even under Christendom, some kind of heaven on earth, and people didn't expect it to be that way. We understood under Christianity, and we were taught, and we're still taught today, that this world is passing away. It's material, and it's not perfect, and that uh, there are things that transcend it. But the principles of the Catholic Church that were formed that made Western civilization are as good as they ever were. And those principles can be applied to what we have today and don't have to somehow or another turn us back to some kind of a of a medieval society in this, you know, in the sense of having a monarchy or or uh, a theocracy. Uh, it's not necessary. Leo himself says it's not necessary to have a monarchy or a theocracy or a democracy or an oligarchy or some other form of government. He says any form of government can be good as long as it follows principles that advance the interests and well-being of that which makes up society, the various groups of people that live in it, the families that make it up, the common man, and uh, those things that advance in their uh, well-being. Uh, are are to be advocated by the government, and any government that does that can be a legitimate government. And uh, we're certainly not calling for an overthrow of the government. In fact, Catholic teaching Catholic teaching teaches against it. It teaches citizens to obey uh, moral law. In other words, we we have to obey just law. And if there is an unjust law, we don't have to obey it. Martin Luther King said that himself. He quoted. Uh, St. Augustine, and St. Augustine certainly was Catholic, and St. Augustine said an unjust law is no law at all. But St. Augustine didn't call for an overthrow of government. He simply called for Christians to refuse to obey an unjust law and take the punishment, whatever uh, became of it. And that, of course, is the the path that Martin Luther King followed in uh, uh, the civil rights movement. And the civil rights movement uh, resulted in civil rights being extended to blacks and other people in our society. And some of those things are good. But other things in liberalism don't go along with that kind of a thing. And those things can be governed by Catholic principles. And this is what we're saying. So is there anything more that you might want to say on that? No. And then this idea of separation of church and state. Uh, the Catholic Church has always taught that there should be a distinction between church and state. State has its just uh, area to govern in, and so the church has its just area also to give underlying morality and ethics that uh, are the base of that government and that keep the governing going in the right direction. And so the two things work together. They don't have to be separated somehow or another that one has to be shut away and the fact is is that we have to understand we're getting short on time here that wokeism that is modern progressivism that the wokesters or whatever you want to call them are a religion unto themselves man is a religious creature and he can't avoid it i've said that before over and over again and so 
when a person proclaims he's going to believe in nothing, he will not believe in nothing. He will believe in something. Right. And sometimes those somethings are totally dysfunctional, and liberalism is one of those somethings. It's becoming more and more dysfunctional, and if it is going to survive at all, it has to have the principles of the Catholic Church undergirding it, and those principles can apply broadly to everybody. And uh, more people can live in freedom under those principles than they can under the principles of liberalism we have today. So That's right. We're on our way to destruction if we keep it up. So I'm saying here that it would also be a good thing also for evangelization, for one thing, and, and practicality. We don't have to be impractical. We can go along with uh, ordinary, modern, practical solutions to things and still at the same time be integralists uh, if those things go in the same direction that we're going. So it's not a rejection of that. But again, I'd like to get into this more. Maybe we can do it next week. Uh, we don't have any more time today. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and say our prayer. And I hope everybody found this interesting. And uh, it will make us better, I think, in more honest Catholics uh, if we start to follow some of these principles. So St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, battle. be our protection against, against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all, and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.